0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Hope you had a good weekend, got all the clocks moved ahead and you're getting adjusted to the new time, the time change. And I can tell you what, I know it's close to spring weather may not feel like it where you are, but I know it's close to spring because I have my annual spring cold. I made it through the winter, fortunately, without getting the flu that so many people have been dealing with this winter. So I've been fortunate there, but it seems like every year about this time I wind up with a a cold right at the end of winter going into spring. So bear with me. The voice is a little scratchy this morning, but we have lots of folks to talk to. We're going to hear from Iowa Senator Charles Grassley today. His thoughts on the RFS debate and tariffs and a lot of other issues. We'll get a complete look at the weather here in the U.S. as well as in South America from DTN's Bryce Anderson. And we'll also be talking with the new Vice President of Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. He'll be joining us a little bit later to talk about the RFS debate as well. But right now, with our look ahead for the stories uh, to be watching this week from AgriPulse, we have Spencer Chase. Hi, Spencer. How are you?
2: Doing good, Mike. Appreciate you having me.
1: Well, it was interesting. Friday night, uh, there was a Twitter storm uh, with the supporters of biofuels and the RFS uh, really going to Twitter to uh, let the administration know the importance of leaving the RFS alone. And then today, we thought there was going to be a meeting at the White House, but now it's been postponed, right?
2: Right. So we got word uh, late Thursday night uh, that this meeting that that was originally scheduled to be happening right about now, actually at the white house was called off uh... late friday night by the white house they said that uh... they were felt good about uh... behind the scenes discussions that were happening with the department of agriculture and the epa so we know those discussions are ongoing but uh... they just decided that the discussions that were having that were being had at the administrative level were not quite ready to move up to the level of a white house discussion and there were still questions uh... even late into the day on friday about who from the administration was planning on participating in that meeting uh... we had heard from several very reliable sources that President Trump was not planning on attending. There was some question as to whether or not Vice President Mike Pence might be leading the meeting, uh, but that was never really uh, a for, for sure answer given on that subject. But moral of the story is still waiting on any kind of a resolution on the RFS debate, and looks like that's going to be something that's going to be uh, continued to talk about here in the next week or two.
1: And if that resolution includes caps on RENs, the renewable fuels industry is not going to be happy with that.
2: No, they've, they've been very clear and very vocal about that. In fact, on Friday there were a number of, a number of groups that were uh, organizing press calls uh, pretty, pretty close to each other on, on Friday afternoon. But the several, uh, something that came out of uh, several of those calls was that they said, should, uh, should a RINCAP really at any level be, be written into policy administratively, that's something that they think would be very vulnerable to legal action, and they feel very good about the, the potential for, for their side of the story if legal action were to happen.
1: We're talking with Spencer Chase with AgriPulse in Washington, D.C. Meanwhile, Spencer, it looks like maybe there will be a meeting, some maybe a little something happening on infrastructure this week.
2: There is some things going on on infrastructure this week. There's a hearing on Wednesday with five cabinet secretaries now. I've seen a hearing before with two cabinet secretaries, and that was incredibly busy. I don't think I have ever seen one in my in my time in Washington or even before then with, with five different cabinet secretaries all on hand to discuss the same issue. Uh, in terms of the infrastructure proposal, uh, there's a lot of questions about what it might mean for rural America, uh, you know, tangentially on things like lock and dam infrastructure. But even getting back to the actual roads and bridges In the rural parts of the country, Uh, this is an infrastructure plan that has a lot of interest in privatization, and there's some concern that maybe that privatization might not lead to good things because it's hard to put a toll road on a gravel road.
1: Yeah, and just how they're going to pay for things. If they're counting on states, I've said this before. When you live in a state like I do in Illinois, you have to be skeptical if the state's going to step up with a lot of money to, to help with this. So it'll be interesting to see what they come up with.
2: Right, because there's a lot of states out there that are strapped for cash too, as, as you mentioned. And not only that, uh, there's some private sector companies that are, that are doing pretty good. But is the money going to be there for them to be able to return a sufficient amount of profit uh, based on based on federal
3: infrastructure? That remains to be seen.
1: What are you hearing on farm bill? Now, last week, Colin Peterson, ranking member of the House Agriculture, told us here on Adams and Agriculture that uh, proposed changes to the food stamp program by Republicans those are a deal breaker for the Democrats. Uh, so it looks like there's some fence mending that's gonna to have to take place even within the committee.
2: Right, well the plan was to unveil the Farm Bill this week, uh, the draft Farm Bill at least, and then have committee discussion on it next week. Whether or not that timeline holds up with this Democratic uh, you know, revolt that uh, Ranking Member Peterson discussed on your program last week remains to be seen because there's a lot of things that have to be done. Uh, chairman conway has said repeatedly that he's interested in producing a bipartisan bill through the house because he's going to need to in order to get 60 votes on his proposal in the Senate. He could probably move, uh, produce a very far-right farm bill that includes even deeper cuts to snap than are are potentially being proposed right now, but such legislation would have almost no chance in the Senate. It would be almost impossible to engender democratic support for, you know, for deep snap cuts. And so he's trying to move a bipartisan bill, which is a good path if he wants to actually move something toward final passage. But it's it's hard to say right now what the actual timeline is going to look like, but this week is going to be very, very critical for the
3: future of the Farm Bill.
1: When I've heard, and there have been several now, say the Farm Bill might not get done until next year, when I first started hearing people say that, I thought, oh, no way, they'll, they'll surely get it done here in 2018. But I every time something like this comes up, I guess I find myself wondering a little bit more, too, if they can get it done this year.
2: Well, and the, the thing is, one of the biggest things, some of the biggest issues that they had with the with the farm bill that they were needing to get fixed were in dairy and cotton policy, and that was fixed here in a, in a budget deal recently. And so, whether or not there's the same sense of urgency on Capitol Hill to move a farm bill is is still up in the air. Yes, there are still some things that need to be addressed, and things are obviously still difficult out in farm country. I'm not telling your listeners anything when I say that, but whether or not they still have the same level of political motivation, and plus, if you're a Democratic lawmaker. There's the potential that you could pick up some seats here in this next election, and if things go right, you can maybe even pick up a chamber. So at this point, it's a, it's a politically risky thing, potentially, to agree to a farm bill that has snap cuts that they could maybe reduce in uh, here in the next Congress.
1: Yeah, who'd have thought that when they actually took big steps in the budget to get cotton and dairy addressed, that that might actually hurt? The chances of getting a farm bill done this year, because we know with Congress, uh, without a sense of urgency, they they tend not to get much done.
2: Right, and there there were questions right when that right, right when that deal was announced about whether or not this still produced the same sense of urgency. And the committee leadership tried to refute those questions because there's still the issues with, for instance, Art County and the, and the county by county disparities in payments there. There's still some things that the committees would like to do on CRP. There's still a push from the commodity groups to do things like double export funding for, uh, for MAP and FMD programs that allow for promotion of U.S. commodity programs overseas. And there's also the issue of the livestock groups wanting to do something on a foot-and-mouth disease vaccine bank. So there is still a list of things that they would like to get accomplished through a farm bill. But whether or not they have the same political motivation to do it now as they did several weeks ago, uh, well, that's still up in the air.
1: Mm -hmm. All right, Spencer, thank you, and I want to let people know, on March 21st, AgriPulse's Ag and Food Policy Summit uh, will take place in Washington, D.C. Looks like a good lineup you have.
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Teams have been working very hard on trying to get uh, all of our speakers lined up and have a really diverse set of interests being represented there. It should be a lot of great discussion about uh, the future of foreign policy, not only this year, but in the years to come as well.
1: All right, Spencer, thanks for giving us a look at the week ahead. Should be another interesting one. Thank you very much.
2: I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks.
1: Spencer Chase with AgriPulse. Coming up next, Iowa Senator Charles Grassley will join us. His thoughts on the RFS debate, the president's uh, implementation of tariffs on steel and aluminum, and the potential repercussions for agriculture, and more. We'll talk Washington ag issues with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
0: ESN is a responsive nitrogen. That means it does something amazing. This. That's the sound of ESN getting ready, carefully, quietly calculating the exact moment to respond to your plant's needs. Why is that amazing? Because while other nitrogen might denitrify, volatilize, or leach away, ESN stays put inside its polymer coating, saving your nitrogen investment until The same triggers that spur plant growth tell ESN it's time to get busy and deliver the nitrogen your plants need. And ESN's controlled release technology means your plants get season-long feeding. Remember, when it comes to nitrogen, this beats and every time. Effective nitrogen? That's a given. Responsive nitrogen? That's amazing. That's ESN. Go to smartnitrogen.com to learn more.
4: Looking for a proven herbicide trait system this upcoming season? Look no further than the Liberty Link system. With a 2-plus bushel per acre yield advantage over Asgrow Roundup ready to extend and superior weed control, growers across the country are seeing phenomenal results. In fact, 97% of growers reported good to excellent performance. Ask your authorized seed dealer or retailer about the Liberty Link system, the highest rated soybean trait system in 2017. Learn more at libertylinkadvantage.bear.us. Always read and follow label instructions.
5: Fastline.com is changing the equipment buying game. Fastline has just released its newest feature, the price comparison tool. The price comparison tool is the first of its kind in the ag equipment market. It's designed to help quickly compare make and model. Using the price comparison tool, you can see if an item is below, above, or right at average price for similar equipment. Use this game changer right now at FastLine.com.
0: We're ready for our Four Seasons sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no. We'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what
5: about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather
1: tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub.
6: Yeah! No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, four-season sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975.
0: More reasons for four seasons now.
6: To find out more, call toll-free, 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: And welcome back. Well, over the years, I've had many uh, very good conversations with Iowa Senator Charles Grass on my new show, Adams on Agriculture. Senator, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it.
3: Of course, I'm always glad to be with you. Thank you very much uh, for your new role and your new uh, program. And uh, glad to be with you. And if it's the uh, same format we previously had, I know we're going to have a good discussion.
1: It is the same format, and let's get into that discussion because uh, RFS, RENS, that debate has been raging. The meeting that we thought was going to happen at the White House today has been uh, postponed. What is your take on this? Has, has the White House received the RFS message from the renewable fuels industry and its supporters uh, that uh, leave the RFS alone, or do you think there's still going to be some kind of tweaking, uh, some kind of move by the administration to cap RINs or something like that?
3: I, you may think I can't say much because of being involved in the discussions, uh, but uh, that's not the reason. I just don't know for sure, but uh, the positive news would be that uh, getting away from a cap on RENs like Cruz was proposing, which the ethanol industry feels would be a very a deathly vote uh, blow to the ethanol industry and the fact that they're listening to alternatives, which I think alternatives, the ethanol industry feels like they shouldn't have to uh, propose because I think our position is right from day one, but maybe uh, understanding the political realities of what could happen, I think that they're willing to listen to alternatives are good. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I I think I would give this sort of advice to the 14 states that are involved in uh, corn production and in turn being helped by the 5 million billion bushels of corn that go into ethanol, that uh, so far this has been portrayed as two Iowa senators against two other senators, to me, where there's a... Uh, a refinery in bankruptcy, and Cruz, which is one of the biggest oil-producing states. And this has to be 28 senators from those 14 states against big oil, and not just Iowa against big oil, if you understand what I mean. And so far, I don't know whether we've cranked up the loud voice of ethanol, as loud as we should. And I hope that we can get, in the meantime, that this meeting at the White House has been called off today, which may be good news, that the 28 voices of the 28 senators from the 14 states that contribute corn, $5 bushel, uh, to the ethanol industry uh, and the ethanol industry jobs of 55,000 being at stake as much as uh, oil jobs might be at stake, uh, then I think that we can crank up that voice and be successful.
1: ...calling for even more uh, support from the uh, supporters of ethanol and biofuels to speak out on this issue. Meanwhile, Senator, we have the Trump administration... Before before you move
3: on, can I say that the grassroots need to tell the White House not to cap the uh, certificates that we call RINs or uh, do any waiver whatsoever. They need to call and make sure that their voices are heard
1: yeah there was quite a twitter storm friday evening along those lines and uh, what you're saying is they need to follow up on that and keep the pressure on now moving to tariffs on steel and aluminum it kind of ties into this because there's fear of retaliation on agriculture Uh, is this becoming rust belt versus farm belt within this white house
3: well, let me start out with what I think uh, is a positive statement that if and this is kind of a big if, but if the pre- if the president leading us to cliffs in a lot of trade issues like the renegotiation of NAFTA and things of that nature of which uh, on trade policy the tariffs would fall in, and he can get a better deal for American workers, and even a better deal for American agriculture. I'm not going to find fault with it, but it seems like we're we're led to the cliff all the time, and maybe that's the way you make a a good deal. I, I'm not a deal maker, uh, even though I'm a member of Congress. I'm not negotiating trade deals the president's doing that and maybe he knows how to do it if he knows how to do it and can be successful i'm going to applaud it but you state a very clear uh probability and that is if there is retaliation by other countries, it's going to affect agriculture first and foremost, as we've seen uh, in the steel tariffs under the George W. Bush administration. And uh, we know what uh, embargoes can do uh, to grain prices. When Carter did it in 1979, we know what uh, freezing beef prices did to the beef industry when Nixon did it. So uh, you're playing with fire and uh, when does the president know how to put out the fire? That's a question I don't know. I just hope he's uh, s- smart enough to know what the possibilities are.
1: Yeah, we're kind of waiting to see. Meanwhile, Secretary Purdue said they're going to use uh, these tariffs to get a better, NAFTA deal. It, it seems like a strange way to negotiate, especially from the responses we've heard so far from Mexico and Canada on this.
3: Um, I think the president was quoted once as saying, uh, and this doesn't apply to the tariffs that you brought up, but it applies to NAFTA negotiations. He says, you know, if we're going to pull out of, uh, of uh, NAFTA, we have to send a six-month letter saying uh, six months ahead of time and he says if i send that letter you'll really see fast movement i think that's the theory behind the steel and the exemption now for mexico and canada that'll it'll it'll get uh, mexico and canada to talk turkey faster Uh, i hope he's right but i don't know and i'm maybe a little more cautious because i consider myself a free trader but I do find fault over the last 30 or 40 years that sometimes the United States isn't been strong enough in its reaction when other countries have violated the trade rules by subsidizing their products, uh, and we haven't taken appropriate action. And now maybe the president is uh, is taking that action that I thought we should have taken in the past. But again, I would emphasize it's it's a gamble, and you got to be careful how you do it.
1: Meanwhile, the good news, Bill Northey is finally at USDA, that was quite a battle. Um, does this open up the door now for some other key appointments to be made at USDA and finally get a full team on board there?
3: Yes, but I would say it isn't just USDA, There's several departments that are understaffed and I don't know whether it's from the slow movement of the United States Senate Or maybe it's a slow movement by the White House getting nominees up here, because we can't act on them if they don't get them up here. But I I hope that uh, we can break the the gridlock. But when it comes to some of these positions, you have to realize that there's been an unprecedented use of the uh, Democrats of the filibuster on some of these nominees, I say very unprecedented. Let me emphasize that, very unprecedented. Uh, Almost every judge that comes up has to have a a filibuster against it, and it takes too long. So, uh, uh, and and even for people that can go through unanimously, uh, it seems like you have to deal with a filibuster.
1: What's on the Senate schedule this week?
3: Uh, Dodd-Frank, hopefully get it finished and get some uh, relief from government regulation for the community bankers but keep on the regulation for Wall Street. You understand Dodd-Frank was passed as a result of the financial debacle of 2008 and 9. Uh it wasn't caused by the local bankers in the Midwest, it was caused by Wall Street. So keep the pressure on Wall Street through uh the regulation that was enacted in 2010 but take the uh, stranglehold off of the community banker so they, they can do banking.
1: All right, Senator, thank you for your time. We'll let you go, but meanwhile, hopefully we'll get some resolution on uh, this RFS issue and uh, and move on to some of these other matters. But thank you for your time, and we look forward to having you on here on Adams and Agriculture often in the future. Thank you, sir.
3: I'll be glad to be with you again. Thank you very much for your interest.
1: All right. Thank you, Senator. Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Always love talking with Senator Grassley, and as I've said before, you may not always agree with what he says or the positions he takes, but you know exactly where he stands on those issues, and I always appreciate that. And um, he's been very much involved in this RFS issue, and in, in those meetings that have been going on at the White House. So we appreciate his insight as we uh, look ahead to trying to get some of this, uh, some of these things. Uh, finally put to rest but seems like when it comes to the rfs it's never put to rest It's ongoing attacks and as you heard the senator say he, he wants even more uh, grassroots efforts uh, from those in the uh, biofuels uh, community we'll hear from one of those members a little bit later on kurt kovarik with the national biodiesel board that's coming up but next a look at the weather for the week ahead and for the rest of march and heading to spring planning time Bryce Anderson with DTN joins me next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
5: Fastline.com is changing the equipment buying game. Fastline has just released its newest feature, the price comparison tool. The price comparison tool is the first of its kind in the ag equipment market. It's designed to help quickly compare equipment by price, make, and model. Using the price comparison tool, you can see if an item is below, above, or right at average price for similar equipment. Use this game changer right now at FastLine.com.
4: Tired of yesterday's mist weeds becoming today's big problem? Get rid of mist weeds for good with Liberty, the herbicide that puts an end to mist weeds, guaranteed. Plus, Liberty is proven effective on tough-to-control and resistant grasses and broadleaf weeds. So choose Liberty. The Simply Better Solution for Superior Weed Control. Backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Talk to your retailer to learn how you can qualify for the Liberty Guarantee. Always read and follow label directions.
5: Time now for a market check on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. 90 minutes into this trading session on a Monday, and we've got mostly minus signs in the grain and oil seed sector. Grain and soybean futures fell in the overnight trade. Analysts saying that Friday's trade suggesting to some that prices were headed lower after potentially peaking. In soybean futures, though, we are trending a fraction to three and a fraction higher, fraction to a penny lower in corn. For the wheats, we are a penny and a fraction higher in Minneapolis spring wheat, penny and a fraction lower in Kansas City, and the same range in Chicago wheat as well. On the charts, the corn trend said to be bullish, but Friday's action turning consolidative resistance, and last week's high is seen at 393 and three quarters on that May contract. On the downside, key nearby support lies at 385 and three quarters. May soybeans skidding to a lower close on Friday, minus signs early in the Monday before turning it around. A swift sell-off seen in the markets below the 10-day and 20-day moving average support levels on Friday. That action turning the short-term trend to the downside, although we do see some positive signs in early Monday trade. For livestock at the American Cattle and Hog Futures on this Monday, we've got some minus signs. Live cattle futures a dime to 72 cents lower. Feeder cattle trending 40 to 55 cents lower. Cash cattle activity yesterday seemed mostly steady on a live basis. Early week activity this week expected to be limited to the distribution of new show lists. In lean hog futures, the April contract is down a dollar 20 at 66.65 cash call at the Upper Midwest terminals on this Monday, steady to a dollar lower. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow is up 22, Nasdaq up 26, crude oil is down 66 cents a barrel. From Adams on Agriculture, I am Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike
7: Adams.
1: Welcome back. Well, we're getting close to the official start of spring, but old man winter just does not want to give up. Let's talk weather with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. And, Bryce, uh, you look around some parts of the country, it doesn't seem like we're, what, just about a week away from spring. Still feels very much like winter.
8: It really does, Mike, especially from the Mississippi Valley on east, and uh, I tell you, I think that uh, this is going to be more of a feature than not over the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, just looking at a quick uh, rundown of the uh, U.S. Uh, model's uh, forecast patterns, there is a little bit of a warm-up over the uh, seven-day time frame, and then a uh, northerly, northwesterly flow reasserts itself and uh, brings temperatures back into a near-to-below normal trend uh, during the end of the month. I think that we are looking at a slower start to field work and along with that uh, there's been enough uh, moisture that it's going to take a time, uh, while for soils to uh, dry out and warm up in order to uh, take care of you know, keeping machinery in the field. So it's not a real quick start to spring by any means.
1: Well, let's talk moisture. Some areas won't have to wait uh, for things to dry out. They're already dry. Have we seen much improvement in that drought monitor?
8: Not uh, very much in the southern plains. In fact, um, well, let me let me amend that because we, there was some moisture over the eastern part of Oklahoma and Texas during the past couple weeks, and so things have helped out there. And um, so that's been a little bit of a benefit. But in the southwestern plains western kansas western oklahoma texas panhandle area uh there is no big change at all and in this section of the plains uh the uh, dryness is now at historic levels and i don't think that there's going to be a real improvement there now you get farther north and in the northern plains, in the western Dakotas, and into Montana, where they had the uh, harsh drought a year ago, there's been enough precipitation here recently that things have started to um, at least uh, ease a little bit. And and I think that going through this spring that uh, there will be some moisture to, uh, you know, take care of spring wheat and uh, help pastures to grow and so forth. I don't think they're going to completely... Recharge the soil profile, but there will be enough moisture for crops to sustain themselves in the early rounds.
1: So, other than some of those extreme areas, we have seen improvements—a little better picture than what we were looking at just a short time ago.
8: Yes, we. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, The last uh, three weeks have been, I think, especially generous uh, in the uh, kind of the central part of the Midwest. And then uh, into uh, parts of the Delta where it had been dry. Uh, The southeastern plains are getting along better. The northern plains have some improvement. But this uh, dry uh, scenario in the uh, southwestern plains is uh, really uh, quite a bit of a concern. And I don't think that it's going to change very much as the uh, growing season goes on. So that's going to be where the uh, crux of the dryness, the focus is going to be, I think, uh, for the next several months
1: but just to recap again and you know we're kind of making a blanket statement here and there'll be exceptions here and there around the country but overall you're not seeing things shaping up as what would lend itself to real early spring planting time for many farmers
8: no i'm not uh, i think that there could be a, a better uh, uh... beginning to spring in the far western areas of the corn belt we're talking uh... parts of nebraska into kansas and, and uh... so forth but uh, you take the area from the uh, eastern Dakotas through Minnesota, south through Iowa, then into Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, the Great Lakes, and then uh, farther south into the Delta, I think that uh, there's going to be a delay in getting things going. And along with that uh, is also the likelihood that some of these rounds of uh, rainfall that uh, have been going on are still going to be with us uh, during this uh, spring season so that keeps things uh, also on a slow side from that standpoint
1: we're talking with dtn meteorologist bryce anderson alright bryce we're keeping a close watch of course on on south america it's been dry in argentina has much changed there the past few days
8: sure hasn't uh, during the past weekend mike in parts of uh, buenos aires and santa fe provinces they had very scattered rains with uh, no more than about a half an inch of precipitation. This week uh, it's going to be dry until the end of the week and that's when there's another rain chance but it's going to be pretty scattered as well. Uh, so the, uh, the thought is now that Argentina's soybean crop is going to be down about a third from the projections back on the first of the year. And in general the, the uh, range appears to be about uh, 40 to 43 million metric tons. Back on the first of the year, they were looking at uh, the upper 50s, about 57 million tons. Now, the question from here on is, will there be enough moisture at the end of the season to help things at least hold off from even declining further? And I think that's where things are at this point in terms of assessing the Argentina soybean crop. There's been damage. It's lower than previously thought. Now, the question is, is it going to stay where it is, or will this crop even start shrinking more to uh, finish out March and then get into April?
1: Now, the picture's better in Brazil, but as you told us last week, you do not think Brazil, when we look at the total picture of the of the two countries, uh, you do not see Brazil being able to overcome those shortfalls in Argentina.
8: I don't think they're going to make up uh, the, the total by... Uh, you know by a complete one hundred percent by any means uh the Brazil crop is going to be good uh there's going to be a, a lot of production out of Brazil. I still think there's going to be a shortfall uh not uh you know not any uh tremendous amount, but there still will be a shortfall and uh the uh, scenario in Brazil continues to uh be quite favorable for what they're getting um I do have to say that I'm impressed with the yields that uh, I've seen. Uh, for examples, out of harvest, uh, there apparently are quite a few fields where soybean production is yielding about uh, 60 or even 70 bushels an acre, and that's uh, that's awfully good. I mean, I don't care if you're producing in North America or South America. That's a lot of soybeans. That's a very good yield.
1: Now, bring us up to date. Where are we on the uh, La Nina watch here?
8: Well, the... Uh, Pacific is still uh, at a cooler-than-average uh, level. It's about uh, most eight, between 7 tenths and 9 tenths of a degree Celsius below average, so there still is a weak La Nina in place. Uh, it looks like the water temperatures are going to get back to a neutral level by the end of the month, maybe into early April. But as far as the atmosphere response to all of that, Mike, I think that uh, the, the general thought is that uh, the the atmosphere patterns associated with La Nina are going to uh, be the uh, big feature as we go through the spring because it takes a while for everything to kind of get in sync, so to speak, with the water temperatures and how the atmosphere uh, responds. And so that's one reason why uh, there's uh, the thought that uh, this spring is going to be a slow one in terms of uh, heavier rains and uh, cooler temperatures, over much of the Midwest, because that is a real hallmark of a La Nina-type spring.
1: Elsewhere around the world, any other uh, weather events that we should keep an eye on?
8: You know, it's, uh, it, it's uh, right now still looking uh, pretty favorable across most other crop areas. The uh, Black Sea region in uh, Russia and Ukraine uh, have, I think, uh, actually been able to to uh, elude some uh, potential damage here a couple weeks ago when they had a big cold snap, but just ahead of that, there was enough snow to um, to uh, help uh, blanket the winter wheat areas in southern Russia, particularly, and uh, kind of uh, you know kind of protect uh, the winter wheat in that part of the world from any real cold weather damage. Uh, that was a possibility because the uh, situation was uh, was really uh, pretty much above average on temperatures throughout the heart of the winter season. Um, Otherwise, uh, the uh, picture in Europe is one where there's been quite a bit of uh, precipitation, as we all know. I think that Europe could have a slower start to its spring like we're going to see in much of the Midwest because there's been a a pretty sharp cold wave uh, over the last couple weeks in much of northern and central Europe, and that uh, could lead to a slower start to their spring as well.
1: All right, so you have not been the bearer of the best news, but it hasn't been totally bad. Although, I guess it sounds like uh, if you are a farmer that hasn't got all the uh, the equipment um, adjustments made that you've been putting off all winter, you still may have time to get some of those things done before spring planting time.
8: There may be some time to do that, uh, definitely, because we're still going to have quite a few days yet where uh, the conditions are going to... Uh, to lead to somebody wanting to be in the shop instead of out in the field. And, and so there's that uh, that possibility of being able to catch up on any, uh, any uh, you know, prep things that need to be done yet before really hitting the field hard.
1: All right. You got any longer-range forecast you want to share with us uh, for the summer?
8: Uh, summertime uh, could be a, a real have-and-have-not uh, scenario when it comes to conditions, Mike. Uh, the Midwest, I think, is going to do pretty well. Uh, in terms of uh, soil moisture supplies and everything to uh, kind of keep crops going during the summer. But this uh, this dry pattern that we've got going in the southern plains uh, really does have the potential to kind of sneak northward and get into um, the more of the central plains area, thinking about Nebraska and then into uh, uh, South Dakota. And there's not not a complete uh, absence of a possibility of some of that dryness uh, moving into the uh, far western areas of the midwest as well into western iowa and parts of uh, western missouri so that's going to be something that will be a potential um, stress factor obviously as we get into the uh, middle part of june and then on into july
1: Always like to get you on record for those long-range forecasts, so then we can replay those as we get into summertime and see how you did. Okay.
8: I know, I know, I know you do. And yeah, uh, you know, our, our recording capability is a little bit uncomfortable these days.
1: <laughs> All right, Bryce, as always, thanks a lot. Good, Good to, to talk, talk to you, to you. Mike. You bet. All right, DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, coming up next, the biodiesel perspective on this RFS battle. Where are we with the biodiesel tax incentive? We're going to talk with the Vice President of Federal Affairs for the National Biodesa Board next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
7: If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool installed indoors or out just steps away. The second C is comfort with sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C. Choice Because when you call for your free Endless Pool Idea Kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location.
6: Call now for your free information. 800-717-0734. 800-717-0734. Call to receive your free DVD videos and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,250 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with models starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD videos and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing.
4: Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of My Pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat, I would flip-flop all night long, I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept 8 hours. When I invented My Pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. My pillow now offers 50% off their four-pack special. That's two premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows, 50% off. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. 50% off MyPillow's four-pack special. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11.
0: ESN is a responsive nitrogen. That means it does something amazing. This. That's the sound of ESN getting ready. Carefully, quietly calculating the exact moment to respond to your plant's needs. Why is that amazing? Because while other nitrogen might denitrify, volatilize, or leach away, ESN stays put inside its polymer coating, saving your nitrogen investment until... The same triggers that spur plant growth tell ESN it's time to get busy and deliver the nitrogen your plants need. And ESN's controlled release technology means your plants get season-long feeding. Remember, when it comes to nitrogen, this beats and every time. Effective nitrogen? That's a given. Responsive nitrogen? That's amazing. That's
5: ESN. Go to smartnitrogen.com to learn more. Fastline.com is changing the equipment buying game. Fastline has just released its newest feature, the price comparison tool. The price comparison tool is the first of its kind in the ag equipment market. It's designed to help quickly compare equipment by price, make, and model. Using the price comparison tool, you can see if an item is below, above, or right at average price for similar equipment. Use this game changer right now at FastLine.com.
4: Tired of yesterday's missed weeds becoming today's big problem? Get rid of missed weeds for good with Liberty, the herbicide that puts an end to missed weeds, guaranteed. Plus, Liberty is proven effective on tough-to-control and resistant grasses and broadleaf weeds. So choose Liberty, the simply better solution for superior weed control, backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Talk to your retailer to learn how you can qualify for the Liberty Guarantee. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to
1: know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, welcome back. Uh, we're going to get the biodiesel perspective on this RFS battle right now. Joining us is the Vice President of Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board, Kurt Kavarik. Kurt, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time.
9: Happy to be with you, Mike.
1: Okay, how does the biodiesel industry view what's going on with this back-and-forth tug-of-war over RENs and the RFs?
9: Yeah, well, we're, at, we're, we're absolutely concerned about it. Uh, you know, we see it as a, as, a, as a fight between a handful of merchant refiners and, and the biofuels industry. We see it as a, you know, we got, we got refiners who are in, searching for a, a solution in search of a problem, really. So, you know, and so far the discussion is, is focused on corn ethanol, but, you know, we wanted to highlight that putting a cap on RINs does have a, a dramatic and negative effect on biodiesel. So last week, NBB, along with some uh, economists, put out a study demonstrating that we would lose anywhere from 100 to 300 million gallons a year by putting a 10-cent cap on conventional corn ethanol. So we, we conveyed that message to USDA and the president to make sure that they were aware that... You know, while everyone says this isn't this isn't a problem for biodiesel, you know we would we would take it on the chin if uh, any of these kind of arbitrary RIN caps move forward. We first, I mean, we obviously disagree with the whole concept of the net necessity for a RIN cap, but we wanted to demonstrate that there is harm materially to the to the biodiesel industry as a result of one.
1: And, Kurt, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, because sometimes uh, people might think biodiesel is not really impacted by this, but as you point out, your industry is.
9: Yeah, that's right. Because of the way that the program is structured, uh, the nested buckets, you know, biodiesel helps fill a lot of the other categories of of biofuels. So uh, our study said, you know, 300 million gallons annually, uh, you know, 16 cents a bushel for a soybean farmer, so it's it's a it's a significant impact.
1: All right, now let's let's move to another topic, and that is the biodiesel tax incentive. Uh, I know yes, you sir. didn't get everything you wanted in the in the tax uh, uh, reform package that was passed.
9: That's right. So as you as you may recall, the tax credit expired twelve thirty one of two thousand sixteen, and the industry worked hard to try to get a long term extension in, in tax reform that happened last fall, but we on no, no, none of the extenders were done in that package. So, our champions on the Hill try to get uh, a two-year extension to cover 16 or cover 17, 2017 and 2018. And because of resistance on the House side, they were only able to do a retroactive tax credit for 2017. So we're we're hoping to make another run at it in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Congress has to pass a full-year funding bill. And there's a couple other vehicles that we're hopeful that we can get at a minimum 2018 extended because this, this is terribly detrimental to the industry to be, you know, with this, this degree of uncertainty. You know, no one knows the the, the, level, the the playing field, and it's hard to expect people to uh, uh, put the investments in, you know, produce the fuel when there's just such a certain this, a high degree of uncertainty surrounding it. Yeah, We've got it, a hearing it is- coming up in the... We've got a hearing coming up in the House Ways and Means Committee on Wednesday uh, where we'll have a witness there talking about the benefits of the fuel, both you know to rural America, to, to farmers, to our fuel diversity, and to energy independence. So we're going to make our case as strong and as loud, loudly as we can.
1: Well, you've got a good case to make. I was going to say, this is a crazy way to do business where you don't know what you're going to have as far as this tax incentive, and when you do get it, it's for a year that's already passed.
9: That's right, and I, I think most people in Congress, I, I would hope that they agree that that was a, a pretty poor way to do it, because we're not, you know, we want to provide certainty for our producers and marketers and distributors going forward to incentivize additional infrastructure to handle the fuel and blend the fuel, and and doing a one-year retroactive, it it, it makes little sense
1: because it really makes you question, uh, you know, when when the we say the policy of the land is to be as energy independent as we can and we want to we want to boost our domestic domestic fuel production uh, capabilities and then we get this kind of off and on again uh, tax uh, uh, writing that goes on and we've seen the history when your industry the biodiesel industry has that tax incentive in place uh, it's just such a marked difference in when you do not have it. And to have the certainty of it to really move forward, you need that in place and not just this piecemeal approach.
9: Well, you said it probably better than I could have said it. The, the on-again, off-again, if you look over the last decade, whenever it lapses, product, production goes down. People don't can't count on that market. And then when we extend it, it comes back up. We, we could have done a lot more. To incentivize this industry, if if it would have been a consistent and durable policy over 10 years rather than an on again off again approach, and particularly if you look around the country, so we we produce you know 50% of the biodiesel in this country comes from from vegetable oil. The other 50% comes from animal fats, use uh, use cooking oil. You know there's there's a lot of work that can be done there to um, expand those production that production side of it, and it, it it's too bad and unfortunate that. Congress hasn't provided the incentive in a in a structured, certain way over that 10-year period. We could have we could have been further ahead than we are today. Had well, it been more certain.
1: There's no doubt that your industry has accomplished a lot in a very uh, against some very uh, strong headwinds. I mean, it's been difficult with the the track record that you have had to deal with on the tax incentive. And I just can't help but think, and you alluded to this. I can't help but think how much more would have been done if you'd had a steady policy in place from the federal government on uh, on the tax incentive. Uh, when I look at how far you've come with the off and on uh, approach, a steady uh, a steady course ahead would certainly lead to even more growth. I would think.
9: That's right. It, when when we first. When we first uh, enacted the tax credit, we were at just about 100 million gallons of biodiesel. And, and in recent years, we've been at close to $3 billion. Mm. And And, Mike, the same can be said of the, of the renewable fuel standard. I mean, every year, every industry has to go to EPA and, and argue for higher blend levels. Some years we get two or three years where they don't even make a decision on it. Uh, now we're in a situation where they're holding it steady for the next two years, uh, you know, coupled with all the talk about reform of the RFS, both in Congress or through the administration, all of this noise of uncertainty is, is so detrimental to the future, to the, to the benefits of this industry. You know, it's, right. it's, it's just, it's too bad. We're, we're a great story. We've got a great story to tell. We're a great fuel. We had enormous amounts of economic growth and development through a lot of the rural parts of the country. We just wish we had a little bit of a stronger signal from our policymakers that there's this right. long-term commitment to the fuel.
1: Thanks, Kurt. Kurt Kovarik, Vice President of Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Thanks for joining us, everyone, on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.